Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Do your relationships often feel one-sided or unbalanced? Are you always giving in just so things will go smoothly? Do you wish you could learn to say no, but like nicely? Are you depleted, overwhelmed and tired of putting everyone else's needs ahead of your own? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to establish some boundaries. Well, joining me today is the Whole30 creator, Melissa Urban, to help answer these questions and discuss this really important topics of boundaries and what they really are. Melissa Urban has taught millions of people how to establish healthy habits and successfully navigate pushback and peer pressure. She knows firsthand that boundaries, clear limits you set to protect your energy, time and health are the key to feelings of security, confidence and freedom in every area of your life. Now in her book, The Book of Boundaries, she shows how boundaries lead to better mental health, increased energy, improved productivity and more fulfilling relationships. So let's dive in. Melissa, it's such a pleasure to talk to you again. It's always so great talking to you. I love following what you do. You've just impacted millions of people with the work that you do. You've been through so much stuff yourself. And it's honestly just such an honor to talk to you again today and to talk about your new book that's doing so well, The Book of Boundaries. And this is a podcast, everyone, that you really need to listen to because I know you hear a lot about boundaries, but we're going to approach it differently. Melissa has a really good way of handling boundaries, and I'm really excited. So welcome back and thank you. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to talking to you again for many weeks now. Oh, it's, it's so great talking. It's, it's, I love talking to you. Okay, so Melissa, this book is amazing. But you know what? I want you to start with your story because you have a whole section in here on your story. And then we're going to come back and talk about the diff, you know, diff, just find some basics about boundaries so that people reorientate themselves. And then I think what I love the most about your book is something that people are going to love the most about your book. And that is what words you actually use when you're trying to create a boundary. As you say so clearly in your book, you know, all the therapists that people describe boundaries and give you like broad examples, but they don't tell you what to say. You actually tell people what to say. If you're in this situation, say this. Although this is, this is excellent. Like even down to things like if people are overstepping your mark, you know, just to show a facial expression or say, whoa, or something like that, which is so practical. So it's really practical. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Okay. So let's start with your, your story, which was one of no boundaries and how boundaries actually literally saved your life. They did. I mean, very often when people talk to me, they look at me now. I'm the co-founder of the Whole30. I'm very into health and very into fitness. And they'll say, have you always been healthy? And I have to chuckle a little bit because my journey actually starts when I was heavily addicted to drugs in my late mid to late 20s. I used drugs and was addicted for about five years. I used them as a way to sort of numb and escape from some trauma that I had experienced as a teen. And after about five years of using, I found the support system and sort of the moment of grace to go to rehab. And I was in recovery for a year and then I relapsed. And that moment of relapse, I think, was so incredibly disheartening for me. I felt like I wasn't sure that I was ever going to make it back. And somehow I managed to get myself back into rehab and back into outpatient therapy but I hadn't told anybody. I didn't, my friends didn't know I had relapsed. I had been trying so hard to pretend for everybody else and for myself that I was fine now. I treated it like, well, I had, a, you know, I had addiction and now I'm fine. Almost as if you kind of get over catching a cold or something. You were sick and now you're fine. And I really needed, I wanted to pretend like it was fine because I was afraid if I shared my needs and shared how I was feeling, I would end up 
isolated and abandoned and alone. And so I went on about my business the way that I always had. And I found myself once again at a party where I didn't belong with people I didn't know, doing who knows what in the closed bedroom doors. And in that moment, I had a moment of real panic. I thought to myself, my recovery is about to go down the tubes again, and I don't know if I'll make it back. And out of just actual desperation and honest to God boundary tumbled out of my mouth, I said to my good friend, James, that I was there with, I can't be here. I need to leave. I'm not safe here. I need to leave. And I thought in the moment that he would laugh at me or scoff at me and and that you know, he would maybe abandon me as a friend or he would make light of my situation. And and he didn't. He just said, okay, tell me a little bit more about what's going on. And I did. And he said, okay, let's get out of here. And that was the moment I think that I realized two things. Number one, boundaries, what was I now know was the boundary was really the key to expanding my life and my recovery beyond my wildest dreams. They were going to expand my life not make it smaller because I was going to be able to advocate for myself and share my needs and share my feelings and invite other people to meet me in them. The second thing I realized was that if James had said, no, that's silly, I'm going to stay here, I would have gotten myself home. I would have taken myself home. And I felt so empowered in that moment to realize that I was responsible for my own recovery, for my own life, for my own needs. And from that moment on, really, in terms of my recovery, everything changed. I went on to start going to the gym every morning and I made new like-minded friends and I changed my job and I changed my clothes and the music I listened to and I started setting boundaries in all of my relationships to protect my recovery. And it was a real turning point for me. And that's where the book and my own journey with boundaries started. I love it. I actually was, I'm so glad I was going to remind you about James, but you remembered, you you brought that in. I was so pleased you did because it was at that moment, James could have actually said to you, hey, you know, well, I don't understand, but he actually helped you and took you home. And it was that when, that's when you realized that you needed to actually start establishing your boundaries. You highlight something very significant there with some, with addiction, where there was a cause and you were numbing a feeling. And you said you're talking in the book about you, there was a sexual abuse and how your family just didn't want to talk about it to keep the peace. They didn't know what to do about it. Your story is so, it, it's so unique to you, but it's so common out there that happens so often and you had to numb the pain and and the only way you knew how was through this through going through this whole experience of drugging and it just didn't satisfy but the boundaries saved you which was you recognizing what you needed and it was your friends and your support system it's just it's it's wonderful that you said that yeah you actually said there were a couple of comments that I wanted to just looking back that was probably the first real boundary anyone had set with me around my drug use and that was Nate you spoke about Nate I think one of your roommates at college I found that quite very very interesting that they actually started setting some boundaries with you but it took you till the James incident for you to actually set your own boundaries So so it was prompted by an external can you talk a little bit about that Yes. I think as with so many people, boundaries were not modeled for me by my family growing up. By you know, Boundaries are a thing. They're such an essential life skill, but nobody teaches you about them. They're often not modeled by families. They're not taught in grade school. They're not taught in college. They're not part of your career development. They're this skill that normally we are forced to pick up in times of crisis. And so when I was growing up, my family did not model boundaries. Their mantra was sort of, well, if you don't look at it, it doesn't exist. So anything bad that happened, their way of handling it was just not talking about it. They just kind of tried to pretend like it wasn't so. And so when I got into college and, you know, in the height of my drug addiction, found myself with a group of roommates in an apartment that I didn't know, and I was selling drugs out of the apartment. And they came to me one day and they said, 
you need to move out or we're going to tell our parents that you're selling drugs out of our apartment. That was a boundary they set with me. And I didn't respond well. I, you know, of course, was so defensive and I was so mean in response. And I eventually did move out because I ended up dropping out of school. But along the way, there were people in my life while I was addicted that tried to set healthy boundaries with me for the sake of their own health and safety and for our relationship. My boyfriend at the time, Nate, also tried to set healthy boundaries with me. We were living together at the height of my addiction. And he would say to me, I'll keep working on our relationship, but you have to keep going to therapy. You need that support. And I need to know that you have that support. All along the way, I really can look back and admire the people in my life that tried to set boundaries with me at the height of my addiction to keep them safe and to keep our relationship safe. But I didn't recognize it as boundaries at the time. And I certainly didn't start to set any for myself until I was in that moment of true life or death sitting at that party. That's incredible. So now let's quickly transition over to your definition of boundaries because that, you know, people know, people hear about boundaries all the time. But before, yeah, let's define it. And then I want to read a quote from your book. So you define it so nicely. I don't know which page it was on. Here we go. On page okay. six. Can I read it? And would you want to just say it? So read it. Boundaries mark the limits of behavior that are acceptable to you, where words or actions beyond that limit cause you harm or make you feel unsafe. Boundaries are not used to tell other people what they can and cannot do. That would be controlling. Boundaries are established to help you plan and communicate your response to what other people say or do. So good. Do you want to unpack those differences quickly? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the common misconceptions about boundaries is that boundaries are about telling someone else what to do. A lot of people think boundaries are controlling and that couldn't be farther from the truth. A boundary doesn't tell someone else what to do. It tells others the actions that I am willing to take to keep myself safe and healthy. So one of the examples I give in the book is if I have a friend who smokes cigarettes, I don't say to them, you shouldn't smoke. That's controlling. I shouldn't say to them, you shouldn't smoke in your own house. That has nothing to do with me. But what I can say is, I don't allow smoking in my house. That's a boundary that I can set around my own behavior. And that's a boundary I can hold. Meaning if they try to come into the house with a lit cigarette, I can say, please wait outside until you're done smoking. So that's the difference between a boundary and an action that is controlling. In a boundary, I am taking responsibility for my own feelings and needs, and I'm communicating that limit clearly, extending an invitation for the other person to meet me in that limit so that our relationship gets better. I like that. I really like that. Okay, now I'm going to flip over to the beginning because you said something that I just loved and it went down really well in our house. I have three daughters and one son. And they're all adults and all of them work for me. And we're always having this discussion about, it's, we support it in our family, but obviously how women are so often misrepresented or seen as aggressive or something if they assert themselves. So one of your opening paragraphs really caught my attention. So I want to read, read that quickly. It's the second paragraph on the first page. How you became the boundary lady. I love that. If you were to look at me today, this label would make total sense. Personality-wise, let's just say I'm not a, I'm not a people pleaser. To even the casual observer, I appear, I appear assertive, independent, and self-confident, both comfortable with conflict and direct about expressing my needs. That behavior, especially coming from a woman, sometimes evokes an accusation of selfishness and a few others I won't mention here, but you can probably imagine what they are. I'm not selfish, though, or any of those other descriptions you just envisaged. What I am is someone who takes her mental health energetic capacity and worth seriously and does what needs to be done to protect them. 
That is amazing. And that's very important. I think that really highlights why it's worthwhile, probably even for everyone, male and female, every, any gender, but to recognize that really is a huge problem. If a woman asserts herself, you know, they're considered, as you say, all the unmentionable words and the mentionable ones. <laughs> yes. There are a lot of ways in which women in particular, and then especially moms, have been conditioned not to have boundaries, influences from the patriarchy and stereotypically rigid gender roles, religious influences, even diet culture have all conditioned us to be small, to not have needs, to put everyone else's comfort and feelings above our own. As a mom, I am praised the most when I am selfless, when I have no self, when I am only existing for the good of my child. And then when we do advocate for our needs, we are called selfish. We are told we're too aggressive. We're told we're rude or we're called some of those other names. So there's a lot of cultural unlearning that women in particular have to do around the subject of boundaries. And I talk about how my needs have value too. My feelings have value too. And I encourage women to not only put themselves on their own list, but I, you shouldn't be at the bottom. You should be at the top of your own darn list. Sleep can be a stressful topic for a lot of people. On episode 457 of my podcast, I talked about ways to improve sleep quality, including simple changes we can all make to sleep better and longer and improve our mental and physical health. It was such an interesting episode. I encourage all of you to go and give it a listen. If, like me, you are someone who battles on occasion to sleep and have tried almost everything out there to help, I also want to share a supplement routine that has helped me better manage my sleep and improve the quality dramatically. Several months ago, I started taking Sleep Breakthrough by BioOptimizers before bed. It is designed to help you fall asleep faster and easier with the ability to move into a state of deep restorative sleep quicker without making you drowsy and is formulated to keep you from waking up in the night so you sleep more peacefully. The formula is 100% melatonin-free and non-habit-forming so you can use as needed without the risk of creating a dependency. I simply mix one scoop of Sleep Breakthrough with one cup of water and drink it about an hour before bedtime. It doesn't make me too drowsy and I never wake up feeling groggy or tired. I used to take over-the-counter melatonin products, but I realized that they can have negative side effects and lead to dependency and a sleep hangover. Since switching to Sleep Breakthrough, I've been able to naturally produce melatonin without any negative side effects or dependency concerns. I really love that Sleep Breakthrough is all natural which provides my mind and body with the precursors to melatonin and the necessary molecules to produce it naturally. I also love that sleep breakthrough can help lower body temperature at night, which is another factor that can affect sleep quality. It contains glycine, which is an amino acid that research has shown can cause a drop in body temperature while promoting faster sleep onset and longer REM sleep duration. If you're struggling with sleep, I highly recommend giving sleep breakthrough a try. It truly is a game changer. For 10% off your order, use the code DRLEAF10 at checkout. Go to sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash DRLEAF. That's DRLEAF10 at sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash DRLEAF for 10% off your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. Absolutely, because you cannot actually help anyone else or be a decent human being for very long if you're constantly living according to those incorrect cultural, societal, religious norms, as you've just said. And yes. then you go into say, so I'm so glad you wrote this in the book. And then you said, gave some examples of what this can look like. And I thought this would be a great segue. I'm going to read these and then a segue into us getting some of your practical tips in. 
Yeah. So you talk about what this looks like for you. In business, you might say things like, thank you for thinking of me, but this project doesn't feel like a good fit, so I'm going to pass. I like that one because people are approaching you and me constantly. I'm sure all the time. Yes. Let's get together. Let's do something. But, you know, if it's not a good fit, and then you kind of feel obliged. I know with me, I sort of feel obliged to listen and to maybe, well, maybe we can revisit this. But that's the time illusion. If you don't have time now, you're not going to have time then. And it's obviously, yes. you know, it's not going to be. So that's a boundary for in business. And then with your parents, I know you're trying to help, but it's my job to make the rules for my son. I'll let you know if I want your input. Love that. I mean, it's not yes. rude. Yes. It's just basic good sense. In friendship. Oh, uh, let me stop you. Please don't share stories about what my ex is up to. I really don't want to hear about it. Love that. With my husband, I could use some alone time. So I'm going in the other room to read. So I love that. I love those examples. Immediately up front in the book, you establish why it's okay to have boundaries and give some examples. So I think did that stimulate this, that along with people just giving you broad information about boundaries, did that stimulate this desire to write a book that got so specific? Yeah. So, you know, I've been helping people set boundaries around food and alcohol and talking about their diets and their bodies since the earliest days of Whole30. Since, you know, 2009, the program was founded. And because it's an elimination program, you say no a lot during those 30 days. And I quickly realized that people struggled to say no, especially when faced with peer pressure or in social interactions. So I began helping people say no to the break room donuts or the glass of wine at happy hour or the birthday party pizza and once people figured out I was really good at helping them say no to that, they started saying, well, what about my mother-in-law who's always dropping by without calling? Or what about my coworker who's always gossiping? Or what about my parents who are always trying to overparent me with my kids? And in all of the research that I've done about boundaries, so often, the as you mentioned, the articles and the papers and the scientific journals that talked about boundaries... They talked about why they were important. They talked about how they would benefit you, but they never told you how to actually say it. And that's the piece that I knew from the Whole30 my community really struggled with. And I'm not a therapist, but I think that's good because I don't think we want to talk like therapists to our friends or our bosses. We want to be able to share these boundary scripts in natural, organic, conversational style. So I began coming up with these scripts because that's what people needed to practice, to feel confident, and to be able to set the boundary in those sort of one-on-one in-the-moment situations. And it's brilliant because the script will often then trigger the next script that you can create for yourself. But we, we often need a, a launch pad. Yeah. You know, so your scripts give a launch pad. So you start in, basically give three steps of boundaries. Identify the need for a boundary, set the boundary using clear, kind language, and then hold the boundary. And then you talk about the, the green, orange, you know, the traffic lights. So that concept. So explain that a little bit and then let's do some practical stuff. Let's dive into some of the, the nice, lovely scripts that you have. I love them. Yes, I always, so I offer three levels of boundary scripts. And again, these came from my own experience with me discovering that I had to set a boundary in a social situation really early into my recovery. And I realized that as the threat to my recovery and my sense of safety grew, my boundary language had to get stronger. So I offer three tiers of boundary language. Your green boundary is the kindest, it's the gentlest, it's still clear, but it assumes that the other person just didn't realize you had a limit and wants to meet you in it. They want to be respectful. And so that language is the most gentle. The next level is a yellow boundary. So if you experience some pushback or some peer pressure, if people deliberately try to disrespect your boundary, or if they forget, 
your yellow language is going to be more direct. It's still kind, but the yellow boundary says, hey, we've talked about this before, and I'm going to remind you that this is a limit. And here's where I may even share a consequence if the boundary cannot be respected. The red level boundary is the boundary itself. The red boundary is, you have proven at this point that you are unwilling or incapable of respecting my limit, and now I am going to take whatever action I need to keep me safe and healthy. It is sort of the final level, but we never want to go in with a red boundary. The first time that somebody accidentally disrespects a limit, you know, if I show up at lunch with my mom and my mom says, you know, oh, are you going to eat all that? I don't want to slam my plate down and say, that's it, mom. I'm not talking about my diet and walk out the door. That would feel abrupt and that would feel not particularly kind. kind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we go in with the green and we know with this backup plan of yellow and red, what we need to do if we do have to escalate. I love that. So take that example further. So if you start with the at dinner with your with your your mom and that happens. So yes. talk us through the yellow, the green, yellow, and and red. Yeah, this is a very common situation where people will say, you know, family members or friends, they're always commenting on my plate or they're commenting on my body or my size. They're asking me, have you lost weight? Or are you going to eat that? Or are you sure you want seconds? And I want to find a way to say like, please don't talk about my body or my food. So the green boundary, ideally you want to try to set a boundary before the interaction even happens. So if you know that your mom is prone to do this at lunch, next time before you go to lunch, you call her on the phone. Hey mom, I'm so excited. I can't wait to meet you for lunch. The green boundary is, by the way, when we're at lunch, please don't comment on what's on my plate or what I'm eating. That feels really uncomfortable to me. It pulls me out of the moment and I really want to enjoy our time together. That's it. Please don't comment on what's on my plate. Then when you get to lunch, if your mom forgets and says, oh, are you really going to eat all that? You can say, mom, remember, we're not talking about what's on our plates, but can I tell you about that vacation that I just took? It was really fun. So you're reminding her of the boundary and you're changing the subject. If for some reason this person cannot help themselves or they continue to push back, I'm just worried about your health and it's really important to me that we talk about it, then you can say, okay, mom, I'm going to excuse myself from the table. This lunch is not feeling good to me anymore and I will call you later. So the boundary itself is I am going to remove myself from the situation. I will not receive these comments. And since I can't control the words that are coming out of your mouth, I'm going to take the action I need to keep myself safe. And to preserve the relationship because blowing up at your mom over lunch and getting into a huge fight is not as healthy for the relationship as you taking a break and then coming back to talk about it later. Absolutely. And and the fight is going to be awful across the board, as you said. Yeah. Removing yourself, your mother might not like that. And then it may create a bit of an argument, but you can it's going to still separate and create the mental space. So that goes to the point of not everyone's going to like your boundaries. Correct. But you know what? If they want to value the relationship with a little bit of space between you, they think about it and then they say, Okay, well, if I'm going to have a relationship with my daughter, I'm going to have to look at this. This is really important. If I don't think it's important, it is important. And I've had some people say things to me like, well, you know, they'll say something, they'll comment on something like body appearance or something. And then they'll say, look, I have to say this because, you know, I have to say the truth. And, you know, as 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 I'm, then I would say something like, well, that truth is your truth, but it's not necessarily my truth. So although I respect your truth, that truth is yours, but I have a different one. So I prefer you to actually, you know, just keep it yourself, you know, and then yes. we can carry on. That would be an example as well, wouldn't it? Of- I mean, I would say it even more directly. I would simply say, I will I, uh, I will not receive comments about my body or my weight. 
hard stop. So you can thank them all you want. You can talk about my body and my weight with everybody else when I'm not around. You can talk to yourself about your body and weight, but I will not receive those comments. That is not something I will talk about or hear. And that can apply whether you're talking about your body or weight or people asking you about your baby making status or when you're getting married or what your you know spouse died of at a funeral. I've heard terrible stories. And your boundary is simply, I will not be talking about that. So if you're going to continue that conversation, I'm going to excuse myself. That's it. Mm, that's so good because you don't have to, someone else's truth doesn't necessarily have to be yours. So it's good to actually, so that kind of is a red one, a red boundary that's required. That's so good. You see, this is a great advice that's in the book. So fantastic. Good job. Okay. I like this alert boundary incoming. It was fun. Your little gray, you've got little like gray blocks through the book and that yeah. gives you things that are very practical hands on in the moment. Do you want to talk about alert boundary incoming? Yes. I like the idea of boundary alerts. Very often, when we are on the receiving end of a boundary overstep, we're so startled in the moment that we don't really know how to respond. So it's being at the office party and your coworker saying, how old were you when you lost your virginity? And I'm like, what? A boundary alert is a way to signify to your conversation partner that they have crossed a line and that the tone of this conversation is going to change. And it buys you a minute to think about how you want to respond. So in the face of that completely insensitive and inappropriate question, I might say, wow. And that buys me a minute. First of all, it gives my coworker the alert that what he just said was not okay. And now it buys me a minute to say, you can't ask me that. And I suggest we move on. You could use some of my favorite ones are just sort of like, um, or you could just make a face. If it's a physical boundary overstep, like someone is moving in for a hug and you're not a hugger, you can kind of put your hands up. Anything that kind of indicates in the moment, wait up, hold on, what did I just hear? That's not okay. You might even say, wait a minute. And that would give you a moment to say, what I just heard wasn't okay, and I'm not really sure how to say it, but I don't like the conversation right now, so can we please change the subject? It just buys you a second to think about what you want to say, and it puts the other person on alert that the tone of the convo is going to change real fast. It's really brilliant, Melissa, because it gives you that time for your neurophysiology to calm down, and yes. that's when your cognitive flexibility will increase, and you're going to have a, you know, more wisdom to respond to that situation. Yes. But when we get sucked into then answering a question that we don't want to ask, answer, but we feel obliged because of as we've just you know all the all the programming and cultural norms and all that kind of thing were being thrown that we answer and we don't want to answer, but we answer because we feel, darn, why did I answer that? I shouldn't have said anything about that. This yes. gives you that chance to do that. And another, people might react to that. Go ahead, go ahead. Another one I really like is ouch. So if somebody were to say to me, you know, oh, like when are you two going to have a baby? I might say, ouch. And that alone might be enough for them to say, ooh, okay, that's a personal question. I'm sorry, let's rewind. And if not, it buys me a moment to say, that's a deeply personal question, and I'm not going to talk about that. So, yes. I, I like that. I like the ouch. I like all of them because it does also give a chance for you to step into the other person's, well, the other person to step into your shoes for a moment, but it creates that space. Yes. That's so important for people to be able to respond and, and yourself, you know, as ourselves as well. Okay, yeah. let's dive into some of the, what are your favorite ones to, to talk about? There's, there's so many different areas like work-life balance. Do you want to talk about, should we just flip through and grab a few from each chapter I because you've got yeah. so many. Okay. Yeah. So let's start with the real work-life balance and then Let's let's do some scripts. Let's give some absolute like spot on, like maybe some spot the red flags. Yes. 
One of the things I love talking about in the work chapter, because it feels like this is such a common, especially in the time of the you know post-pandemic and pandemic era, people are always saying to me, how do I tell people at work, I'm not answering emails from vacation or I am homesick, so no, I can't show up on the Zoom call. It feels like if most of us are working from home still, we used to not go into the office so that we wouldn't infect other people. And that was understood. Now that I'm working from home, People still expect you to show up for call. Like I'm home with COVID and people are still expecting me to show up on Zoom calls or I just got out of surgery or I just had a baby and my boss is like, why well, can't you at least like listen in on the meeting? So boundary scripts around the idea of I will not be taking calls from my vacation or I will not be checking email on my vacation is I think a really important one to internalize and to start practicing right away. That's such a great point you've raised because, and I wanted to ask about this as well, because we're a family-run business, and our main in core in, in staff is family members. And we obviously expanding. We have a lot of contractors because we do a lot of stuff. But it's so easy when you are working to even my husband's involved. He's our C- CEO. It's so easy to every dinner to be talk because we meet like every every couple of months. All of because my kids travel a lot and we work. They work virtually a lot, but we always meet back in Dallas every couple of months so that we can, it's our studios here and we catch up on our main meetings and research and that kind of stuff. It's very easy to just work into seven, eight, nine at night over dinner. And we've had to learn as a company and as a family to say, okay, it's six o'clock now, we're going to stop working. So we literally have scheduled boundaries. Yeah. We've literally scheduled our calendars and we've said from this time to this time, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work out like that, but we We'll say, okay, this is cut off time. And hey, we could still carry on working. No, actually now it's time to go watch the movie, take the dogs for a walk, you know, make dinner, chat about everything at dinner except work. Even though we all like what we do. And those are the things that, I mean, that's just a a simple example, but it's so easy to slip into that mode of not giving yourself the boundaries. And we all understand each other, but it's not that easy to do it. It's, It's easier for us as a family business, I think, when you're in the workplace and that boss is paying your salary and you are, you know, it's kind of scary. Don't, and so if someone, have you ever had someone ask you, I set that boundary and my boss had a fit and threatened, you know, I kind of potentially could lose my job or I lost a promotion. Have you ever had anything like oh, that sure. happening? The hard, the hard thing about setting boundaries at work and in some circumstances is that you have to be willing to hold the boundary. And sometimes that means making really difficult conversation, really difficult decisions like, I'm going to go talk to HR, I'm going to ask for a transfer, or I'm going to look for another job. What I tell people, though, is this. Very often when you have been kind of holding your tongue and swallowing your feelings and needs and trying to be nice and doing everything for everybody else and letting people walk all over you, you can feel like you only have two choices, which is I'm going to let my company continue to walk all over me exactly the way they have, or I'm going to have to quit and find a new job. And there are an infinite number of possibilities in between those two points if you are willing to at least try to set and hold boundaries. So if you say to your boss and to your team, hey, I'm going to be on vacation next week. I am going to be on vacation. I will not be checking email. I will not be checking Slack. I'll make sure before I leave that everybody knows who's working on what project and who to contact in case you have an emergency. But just so you know, I am off. And if you get pushback from that, or if your boss says be a team player, or if they insinuate that you know you won't be you won't get that promotion, or you won't get your bonus if you're not willing to donate your personal time to the company, then a, 
at the very least, you know you've tried to set and hold the boundary and now you know where you stand. And that gives you a little bit more kind of ammunition to figure out what your next decision is. Maybe you do go back to your coworkers and say, we are all donating our personal time and energy to the company and this is unsustainable. And we all need to go to the boss and say, our workload, we cannot continue. We can't continue to work nights and weekends nonstop to manage this workload. Like you're the manager. What are you going to do about this? We want you to manage. Or maybe you go to HR and say the you know conditions under which I'm expected to work here without pay are not sustainable. Or maybe you say, I've done everything in my power to try to set boundaries at this company and they have proven incapable of respecting them. It is time for me to find a new job because this is a toxic work environment. But I want you to actually try because you never know until you try. And especially in a work setting, people are going to take as much as you are willing to give. And you may be surprised at simply saying, no, I'm not going to be answering emails on vacation because I'm on vacation. They might go, oh, okay. And it could be just that easy. And then everybody else in the company says, oh, well, if she can do that, I can do that too. And now everybody's work is better balanced. Nobody's feeling taken advantage of. You're more productive. You're feeling more loyal. The morale is higher. Can have a real benefit to every single aspect of the org. Oh, I love that. That's such a great answer. Oh, that that's great. Okay, what's let's what's the next chapter? Let me get to the next chapter. What would you what do you want to have? I think we're talking next? about family, grandparents, yes, yes, family members, parents. Yeah, yes. you know what? I'm gonna to go to the beginning. It's gonna I'm gonna get there quicker because I've got so many questions all yeah. over the place. So let me let's just go to this. It's gonna be better. Okay. So yes, the next one is when you <laughs> when the drama is your mama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Parents, all- in-laws, grandparents, and all the others. <laughs> There's a big section on in-laws specifically. Number one, because I'm written about so often regarding in-law boundary violations. And then in-law boundaries are tricky because they impact not only your relationship with your in-laws, but your spouse's relationship with their parents, your relationship with your spouse, grandparents' relationship with the kids. If your mother-in-law continues to just drop by whenever she feels like it, without calling, without making sure it's a good time, insisting that your home and your space and your time should be made available to her whenever she feels like it, that is negatively impacting every single relationship in this circle. But it's tricky because you and your spouse have to be on the same page with the boundary that you're going to set. If not, you stand no chance of holding it. So there's a ton of strategies in that section for how to effectively set boundaries with in-laws. Okay, give us an example. So choose any one of those examples. Yeah, I mean, the mom stopping by without calling is a really big one. You and your spouse have to get together and say, look, my, I just need her to call before she starts coming over. And your spouse says, you know what? That feels reasonable. So Carol shows up at the door, again, knocks, and you say, hey, Carol, listen, we need you to start calling before you come over and give us at least an hour's notice. That's it. You don't have to explain why. You don't have to get her to understand how it would benefit your family. This is what your family needs from her. And you're inviting her into this perfectly reasonable limit. So if Carol does call and says, hey, I was thinking about coming by in an hour. Now you have the the possibility of saying, that sounds good. We'll be ready for you. Or, oh, an hour is not a good time, but could we set up a time for this weekend? And now you're in control of your space and your time. If she shows up without calling, again... You answer the door and you say, oh, Carol, this isn't a good time for us. Would you like me to call you later or would you like to come by later on this weekend? That's it. You don't have to answer the door and let her in just because she expects you to. And then honestly, the red boundary, if Carol keeps showing up after you've asked her several times, the red boundary is that you just don't answer the door. 
And I know that seems scary for a lot of people, but when you think about it, who is being rude in this scenario? You by not answering the door or Carol who continues to show up even though you said to her, please just call first. That's so good. And that just applies not just to the in-laws, as you say, that applies to everything. It could go the other way around. It could be children and parents. Children, yes. Parents need to give children boundaries. You yes. know, you've got a little boy and sometimes you, you you need to give give him boundaries as well, I'm sure. So that would apply. So tell us about how it works with a child. So I've been setting and holding boundaries with my son since he was really, really young. He's 10 now. But when he was a toddler, the boundary I, I would set would be, oh, I can't pick you up right now because I've got groceries in my arms. But once we go inside and I put these groceries down, I can pick you up. Or if he was trying to interrupt when I was on the phone with my mom, I would say, I'm on the phone with Nana T. And then in a moment where we had a natural pause, I would say, thank you so much for waiting. Now I can answer your question. As he got older, it was like, you can't just barge into our room at 6 a.m. You have to wait till 6.30 when your alarm clock glows green, and then you have to knock before you come into our room. And I would also set boundaries on his behalf. So with family members who he didn't see that often, I would say to them, if he doesn't want to hug you, please don't hug him. You can high five, you can fist bump, you can make a funny face, but like, respect his you know autonomy. He has agency to decide whether or not he wants to hug or kiss or have that kind of physical contact. And so now that he's 10, he feels very comfortable setting boundaries with us. And it just feels like a very organic practice for him to say, oh yeah, mom, you can come watch on the couch, but I don't want to snuggle right now. And I'm like, cool, I'll go sit on the other side. So it's become just a very normal thing in our household to advocate and share our feelings and set and respect other people's boundaries. Great answer. That's really, that's really great. It reminds you of the the kind of situation where you have some families. We get we've we've had quite a few people ask us a lot about boundaries as well, and we've had a couple of people saying that in laws that keep the husband or the wife on the phone all the time with constant problems. You know that long phone calls and interrupting when you're having dinner, and that's another another area that yeah. can be. Oh, I've got to talk to my parent or whatever it is, or and but it's in the middle of dinner with your family or your movie with your yes. wife or something like that, you know? Yes. I mean, if in my house growing up, if the phone rang during dinner, you did not dare move to answer the phone. That was like sacred time. And it's the same thing at our house. We have a rule at our house that you don't bring phones to the table. So I don't care who's coming over to dine with us. The rule is no phones at the table. And that's just the way that it works. Yeah. It works. It works so well. Okay. Let's talk about relationships we mostly choose. So boundaries with friends and neighbors. Yes. I mean, there's a chapter on friends. There's a chapter on neighbors. I have a bonus chapter on roommates that's available for download. But you know, these are situations in which I think sometimes, especially with friends, we tend to overlook a lot of boundary oversteps to the point where we have friends in our circle that we don't really even like anymore. They're not good to us. They don't make us feel good. They, you know, we don't like who we are when we're around them, but because of history, because of the fact that we have a large friend group, and it's not like a romantic partner where you only have one person in a monogamous relationship, you know, we tend to say, well, I'll overlook this friend's quirks because I have other friends that kind of fill the gaps. But if you have a friend that is just sucking your energy dry and making you feel less good about yourself, and every time the phone rings or they text, you find yourself avoiding or not wanting to answer, that's a really big red flag that that relationship could use a boundary. Mm-hmm. And that's true. and not to feel guilty about it either. Yeah. You know, so you give you give actual words and scripts that you can say to that person. So what what I wanted to do maybe with love, marriage, sex, and dishes, setting boundaries in romantic relationships. Maybe we can actually look at some of the actual scripts. 
Yeah, sure, I'd uh, love but, to. But, yeah, but go go for it. Start talking about that one when I when I pull up. Well, in romantic relationships, one of the things in that chapter and what makes that chapter a little bit different is that some of the most common issues I hear in romantic relationships can't actually be solved by a simple boundary. So for example, I'll get someone who says to me, my husband is not sharing his like equal partnership. He is not showing up for household responsibilities, for childcare responsibilities. I am the default you know, household manager and default child taker. And he only helps if I ask him to. And then he like doesn't even do it the way that he knows it needs to be done. Unfortunately, you can't fix that with a simple boundary because you can't say, I'm not doing dishes anymore. That just hurts the entire household. So I do give resources for some of these different relationship patterns that are require more than a boundary. It's a book you could read. It's a resource. You know, in the case of wanting different amounts of physical attention or physical connection. You can't always fix that with a boundary. But there are certainly some scenarios. One example is, you know, the person who just had a brand new baby and is about to go back to work and needs to have a conversation with their spouse about who's going to manage sort of baby duty in the morning because you both have to get ready for work and the baby needs to get ready to go to childcare. And the green boundary is, okay, I'm really stressed about going back to work next week. Can we sit down and talk about who's going to do what to make sure we can both get ready and get the baby to childcare on time? The yellow boundary is you can either be on baby duty from 6.30 to 7 or from 7 to 7.30. You pick. Tell me which one you want and I'll get ready during the time that you're on baby duty. And the red boundary is you're on baby duty from 6.30 to 7 tomorrow so I can get ready. And you, you know, ideally you sit down together and you you write down a list of shared expectations around what it means to take care of the baby in the morning. The baby needs to be fed. The diaper needs to be changed. The diaper bag needs to be packed. The clothes need to be appropriate for the weather. You get on this shared set of expectations so that your spouse on baby duty doesn't skip half of those things, forcing you to run around and make yourself late for your first day back at work. Oh, that's so good. That's really good. So you've got, you you have actual like little in the book, there's actual scripts like my spouse says they'll help with the tasks, like doing dishes or folding laundry, whatever, and then the green, yellow, red. So you divide the responses into the script into green, yellow, and red. Yeah. My partner doesn't consult with me when making big financial purchases, and you have a green, yellow, red response. So I'm just going to flip over to, let's go to co-parenting. Uh, let's, go mm-hmm. to, let's go to this one over. Do you want to do co-parenting? Well, I'll touch do- on co-parenting because it's from my own personal experience. My son's dad and I split when he was one. And I have had to set a lot of boundaries, both with my co-parent and with myself around how I engage with my co-parent to preserve my own mental health, to preserve my own sense of privacy, to preserve my son's kind of sense of safety. So I really wanted to include a chapter on co-parenting because it can be an incredibly difficult stage in someone's life, especially if it's fresh. And I think boundaries can make a huge difference in that relationship, feeling full of tension and feeling just uh, unwieldy to feeling rather smooth because boundaries set up guardrails around how and when and why you choose to interact. So it was very important to me to outline that. And I've heard from a lot of people who are recently divorced that that chapter has been really helpful. No, it's really, it's it's really great because like you'll you'll say, I'm going to just read one example and you can pick it up on the... So my ex-spouse still still pokes around for personal details about my work or weekend plans when we're talking about the kids. I don't want to share details like that and it feels invasive for them to be asking, how can I nicely say, please don't? And then you have a green, red, yellow, red option. Can you, yes. do you remember them? Join. I mean, the green is essentially, I'm not comfortable talking about anything other than our kid. 
And that's it. It's very simple. The yellow is, please stop asking me questions about my personal life. And the red is that you simply don't answer. You just don't answer. If they're asking you questions about this and that, you can just pause to acknowledge, or you can say something like, wow, or a boundary alert. And then you can say, so we agree that you're picking them up at eight o'clock then. You just skirt right over it because the easiest way to hold the boundary is simply not to answer the question you don't want to answer. That's a very powerful statement. The easiest Mm -hmm. way to hold a boundary is simply not to, just not to answer the question you don't want to answer. Yeah. And people feel so obliged to always answer every question that they asked. So that's quite a skill to learn. I mean, that's in university, I think people battle with that. They do. And I think the, the, the urge in the moment is either to answer the question because you feel pressured or not to answer the question, but then over explain all of the reasons why you don't want to answer it. And often that just serves to weaken the boundary. I can say, I really don't want to talk about my personal life. It just feels, I don't really know where the line is between personal and kid and our relationship is still, you know, we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. And, and now all of a sudden that boundary is weak. And maybe my spouse even sees an in like, oh, is she saying she misses me? Is she saying that? No, right? You have to pause and be willing to stand in your power and say, that's not something I'm going to talk about with you. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're running out of time here. This is a good one, actually. How about we just, when you can't, when you can't just walk away, well, that's the co-parent thing, but there's other situations where you can't just walk away, like if there's someone in in the home with you, a family member, that's not the easiest. Do you want to just maybe cover one more example or work or something like that? There's a whole chapter in the book about sensitive subjects or sensitive conversations. So these may happen with people in your life, or they may happen with total strangers. It is at the office party, your boss saying to you, well, when are you two going to have kids? And your boss doesn't know that you have been struggling with fertility or that you've had miscarriages or that you and your partner are not on the same page about whether or not you have, you want kids. And that's a really tender point in your relationship. And There are so many reasons why you might be forced to share a boundary in the moment because you can't evade it, you can't predict it. And it's very important to have the boundary language at the ready such that you've practiced it, you know what you're going to say. So if somebody says to me, when are you two going to have kids? Automatically, I know I'm going to say, that's not something we want to talk about and I'm going to change the subject. Oh, that's not something we're going to talk about tonight, but boss, how was your vacation to Aruba? Or tell me about the, you know, oh, okay, co-worker. Tell me about how that project went. Or you just smoothly change the subject while you state your boundary. And I give you these scripts so that in these moments where you're put on the spot and you can't just, you know, evade your way out of it, you've got the language and you've practiced it such that you feel comfortable enough. And it just kind of comes out of your mouth very naturally and organically and confidently. And that is a perfect way to to you never really end a discussion like this, but you end this this podcast time together because that is fantastic that it's not just going to happen. Be prepared, be proactive, yes. be prepared. And this book helps you to be proactive and be prepared and have those scripts and memorize them because on the spot, most of the time, we just, you know, you, you're not going to be able to innovate because we get so thrown and then that whole neurophysiology goes upside down. Yes. So wiring it in and having a pre-planned script in your head is such a great idea. Melissa, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Do you have any final little pearls of wisdom you'd like to share? And how this has helped you with your mental health? I mean, just an overarching statement. I mean, boundaries are sort of the foundation for my mental health in that they help me protect my time and my energy. 
They help me protect my healthy routines. If I didn't set boundaries, I wouldn't be able to have my morning routine or not check work email after 6 p.m. We're going to finish this podcast and I'm going to close my laptop and I'm going to go on with my personal life. So I really think that boundaries can be the underpinning of all of your health and wellness goals. But remember, they are a practice. So if you don't get it right right away, if you still feel a little less confident, just keep working on it and keep practicing those scripts. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And congratulations again on the book. And I look forward to our next discussion. Thank you so much, as do I. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.